there was a nice little distraction there, a women's game. We got uh, <laughs> in the benches, coaching them a little bit. I'm going to grab you guys a drink. I, I need one for sure. Uh, but uh, maybe <laughs> the two of you talk amongst each other what had just happened there. Well, I, I get to say now, Heath, that we got the W this time. <laughs> we had, uh, and I'm, I'm going to give kudos to my two Polish girls, Roxana and Kinga. And uh, they're amazing athletes and extremely devoted to the sport. They, they love the sport so much. That's why they are volunteering. That's actually why they're here. So, and they're tremendous athletes. Yeah, I'm going to say I didn't get to pick my team. So congratulations <laughs> on the win. <laughs> yeah, I saw you guys almost playing rock, paper, and scissors for which side, which bench to take. Yeah. You know what, though? Either way, great girls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was great to see them run around and play and, you know, working with them yesterday and running the drills. And, you know, they bought into it. And, they you know, they're watching it. And then they get to do it. And someone's teaching them technique on how to do it. It's just... You know, I just saw the same dedication and excitement in the in the women as you do in the men. So, um, yeah, and it was nice to see uh, players willing to be goalies. I mean, the fact that we had two goalies for this event out of uh, what fourteen total. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, our goalie was our was our backup in the tournament too. Oh, Kim. Kim. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, see now. <coughs> You guys had the ringer, really. She's a, she's a fantastic athlete, too. Really nice gal. She is. And she made some good saves, too. Yeah. She, it wasn't just like a one kind of. They were really good quality shots on her. We she, were peppering her. She Yeah, <laughs> she got a lot of shots on her. And uh, she made some big saves. But let one in. You won one nothing. That's right. That's right. But it was a W. It was a W, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it reminds me of the, uh, I guess, you know, I, I grew up the same way, playing, you know, in the backyard and and you throw the throw the ball in, you run around, you play, sub off, whatever. And then eventually, you know, you're running out of time, so you say next goal wins, right? And that's kind of what this reminded me of. It's just here, get out that's there, good. run around, play, see what happens and in Let's this play. case first goal wins, right? Yeah, last play. And it was yeah. fun. It was fun. They I mean to see them after the practice today, um, boy, when, when, when you said this or you said that, that was so exciting. That was something I, I didn't think about. It was so great to hear these specific things. And it's one thing that you keep referring to is the, um, those, those fine details, those basics, those skills that you, you, you build stuff on. Those are the things that they seem most excited about today. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I saw that. You know, yesterday when I got to work with them and and even just today, you know, R2 getting to make some of the calls that we made yesterday and telling them to get on their hands and, you know, the she box call. That's a funny, that's a funny cheer. It always makes me kind of giggle and laugh. So, yeah, um, yeah it was exciting to, to kind of see them yeah, that was jump a lot around of fun. and run around. And, again, their, their excitement. There was uh, the one... Uh, athlete, I know she drove four hours when she heard that there was a camp. Yeah. And our our, our two Polish girls came um, some to help with the tournament, but they also knew there was going to be some some box available to them too. So yeah, 
I've got you uh, some something to drink. Sorry that it took a little bit longer. I got uh, bear hugged by the Slovak team uh, there. <laughs> and uh, if you think why I'm smelling that uh, weirdly, Slovak team. But congratulations to these guys ending up fifth in this tournament, which is a big, big milestone for their program. Um, so you already went over this, uh, or was there a f five minute silence or? Uh? No, he's just bragged about getting a W over me. <laughs> With my Polish girl, yeah, that can that Roxana. That could take five minutes, the bragging, yeah. And actually, we had three Polish girls on a team, by the way. Yeah. And uh, did you speak about uh, Kim in our tournament? Because we had a... You yeah, had You mentioned it. Yeah. But what's, what's, what's interesting about that, you know, is that, you know, she came as a manager, and as we're looking at... Our, our roster, we realized that we were really thin on the goalie side, and we had some issues with, with uh, family stuff coming up and, and goalies dropping out and not being able to travel. And, uh, and you know, league rules saying we have to have two goalies uh, dressed. So it was kind of like, well, our managers are goalies, so here yeah, we go. You were even looking at me to put me pads on just to I be was, in the bench, so I was, I was trying my best to find some solution for that. <laughs> I was going to put you in the goalie fans. I think you would have did good. But um, but she she jumped right up as soon as she heard that. She's like, I'll do it. I got it. And, uh, and, and she's like, can I come to training camp? So I opened the door and I said, yeah, if you want to come in and let these men shoot at you, come on in. So they she went in and she, no fear, jumped right into the goal. These men are just ripping shots at her. Full men's warm-up, full men's practice. We, we ran all our drills, all our plays, and she rotated in with the other goalie for the whole training camp. Um, and so when she got here, bruised and bruises on her legs and bruises on her arms, and, and she was lumped up. She, we, she did not get it uh, easy at all. First day of training camp was that big bruise. You saw it at breakfast, right? She I was did, wearing a nice skirt. Oh, my God. I was pointing to my teams. I go, I go man, that's... that's uh, Pretty cool, you know. As a single guy, I can talk like this now, but I'm like, what? A, what a kind of kind of sexy to see that dress and that great big intense bruise on her calf. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true goalie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, hey. That's I, a save, right? That's a save. Hopefully. Oh man, every day. Yeah. Those it, bruise mean saves. Yeah, it counts. It goes in the stat sheet. And so, you know, if if I can talk about her a little bit too, yeah, I was just very, I was so excited. What a pioneer, I told her. She's, she's a pioneer. Being the first woman, as I understand it, to play in the European Championships and to be so excited about it. She's setting goals for herself. You know what, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get one save. I don't care what it is, I'm gonna get one save. And she's like, Heath, I did it. I got that save and I'm gonna do, keep going. Yeah. She had three in a row, yeah, we were talking about how many saves she had today, oh. but she had, that save she had was against Ireland, and those guys can shoot. And that was a one-on-one. -on -one. It wasn't like a, you know, outside shot guy just ripping it. That she was, they were, she had a one-on-one. -on -one. The guy was on the crease, and she made a stop. Yeah, it wasn't and, a gimme. And we we played against her too. We had yeah. the honor of, of shooting on her as well. It yeah. was truly an honor. Yeah. No, it was it was cool to, I, you know, an opportunity for me too. You know, to say yes to that. Um, you know, it's not often you get an opportunity to say yes to something like that. And then, and then to get here and, and be like, wow, okay, I put her in. 
that's that's a record, you know. And then then she makes a save, and she was so excited, uh, and she didn't get a save the first time she got in, and so she was like, I, I got I'm sorry, you know. She was really upset. She was she was really upset that she felt like she let me down. And I said, No, you did not let me down. There was something you said in the oh no, you said it. He did uh, breakfast to her. Um, what was it like? Um, for some goalies, the, the the goal is to have this feeling of, uh, of uh, what was it like uh, about the safe? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, what she said to me was, "I got that save," and I was so excited. I was I was writing this tidal wave of emotion, and then the next ball came, and I didn't save it. She says I was still thinking about about uh, that save, and I said, "Wow, when I do when I do goalie camps." I tell them, you know, when they score, you know, goalies have to be mentally tough and you have to erase that last goal. <laughs> I got to tell you, erase the last save. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're only as good as your last save, right? Yeah. Um, and that, that's the journey of the goalie. It's not that different from the American football punter and kicker, right? Where the kicker misses the field goal and everyone blames the kicker, right? And you you lose a game by one goal, they want to blame the goalie, you know? No matter how bad the players played, no matter how many mistakes they made, they want to point at the goalie and say, you didn't make that one save that you should have made or you could have had that one, you know? Could have, should have, would have. You know, it's really, really easy to play, look at the goalie and point to him, but uh, at the end of the day, it's a team, it's a team effort. Yeah, if I could, if I could uh, you know, we have had a game, we've had some wins, we've had some losses, but our most exciting uh, loss was against Germany. Our, da our David Zions had 82 saves. <laughs> now, think about that number, right? The average uh, Division One goalie going into the national championship game in, in field has 10.3 saves per game, right? Uh, hockey goalies, 30 saves in a game. Um, you know, roughly the same for box, 40, 40-ish, 82. And the amazing thing part, uh, part of it is one team walked off that floor jubilant and one not so jubilant. And it's amazing that a team that lost walked off on cloud nine. And 82 saves is... <laughs> respectable by anyone's count. I don't even know if I can count that far. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, um, let's go back to uh, a little bit to the, <laughs> to the, to the European, uh, European championships here. Um, we had a, a, a sort of podcast or what was it, live stream, whatever, um, for the, watch out for the B there on your Fanta. No product placement there, but watch out, it's on your head. He's allergic to bees, so we want to be really careful. Yeah, Neil, can you t do an anecdote on the bees here at the tournament? <laughs> bees, bee update? bees, bees. The bee update? Yeah. 
You want me to be uh, the B? The, B, the B movie? Watch out, he's still there. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of bees here, right? Yeah, there are. And a lot birds. Of bees. Oh, bees and birds. Birds, <laughs> birds, poop, bird poop on the field. Wasps everywhere, everywhere you go. And we had a first, first uh, history in the making, too, in our first game. Can yeah. you speak a little bit about so it? So we were the first indoor sports game to be canceled due to weather. <laughs> <laughs> Rain, 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 Noah. Yes, uh, that's why we play box lacrosse and not having yeah. to run through the rain. But, yeah. uh, now. Until you get to Germany. But it was a, a cool <laughs> tournament and uh, some late uh, late problems they had to solve. And uh, yeah, and good all good, right? Le leaking the roof, yeah. They it's always fun to... Yeah, they figured, Like they, they are blaming the, the goalies when they lose with one goal. With organization, we always like to blame the Germans, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when in, uh, doubt, when in doubt, when in doubt, I'm the Germans. Um, now let's go back. You were um, so the the podcast we made was about uh, mascots. Uh, I think people can find it back on the ELF uh, yeah. of uh, whatever social media pages. Um, seeing it now, I see uh, your team uh, has some uh, influences on their shooters, and uh, Neil, you uh, uh, brought a flag, and at uh, the opening ceremony, you had some. Uh, Gnogwa, Gnogwa, says uh, vertically on your shirt. It says Gnogwa. 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 Nailed it. Great. Forgot it again. R2, look at you. Quadrilingual getting there. Nailed it and forgot it on the first try. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you two are friends. I know what it means. I respect you. So I could say it to you. I can say it to my wife. I can say it to my children. Yes, you know when you when you love somebody, you you show them respect, respect them, and yes, it has those meanings that you can use that with a coworker, colleagues, um, you know, winner and loser in the first ever women's halftime show. <laughs> Every time we see each other now, <laughs> and 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 it means that respect. And when I say the exact same phrase to my, my son or my, my daughter, I can hug them and go no It means that kind of love for them and your wife. Yeah, then it's because that's really what it is, right? Respect. You were, or the Dutch team was showing respect by uh, having the 100 Shoni flag with yeah. them, with the Dutch flag. They had actually the record yeah. of the most flags at the opening ceremony. Yes, the most flags, and, and they, they pantsed me too. That's how they showed me respect. <laughs> kidding, kidding, no. Okay. No, kidding. No, yeah, we had the most flags in the opening ceremony. I think we had 18 runners and 16 flags we were holding. <laughs> no. Sponsored no, by six flags. Yeah. Uh, no, we had four flags, I believe, right? So we had the, uh, the, Dutch, the Dutch flag, and then uh, we had uh, my son carried the Haudenosaunee flag. Um, and then one of the players carried the NLB lacrosse flag, and then we have, then we have, oh, then we had a two-row, two-row two row wampum flag, and the two-row is the relationship between the Dutch and the and the Haudenosaunee, and a relationship to travel the river of life and peace in friendship forever, right? And so, so what's really interesting is you're talking about. Gonna wokwa and Nanadaga gonna wankwa, right? And you have your relationships and connections and culture that you're sharing with your team. The Belgians are doing their thing and introducing that to them as well. Um, 
I'm having conversations with R2, and we're having, uh, we had the, the Every Child Matters, not again, as she, uh, not again, um, <clears throat> uh, stickers on our helmets. And then after the game, one of the girls stopped me and says, hey, by the way, you're my coach, and I have a Not a, a Every Child Matters shirt on. You know, so I was like, wow, this is cool. Um, and then Sweden, in the last tournament, they had a, a Haudenosaunee coach as well, and they actually had created a flag on their jerseys that combined the Swedish flag and the Haudenosaunee flag on their on their jerseys. So yeah. the, every time there's an indigenous coach on one of the country's teams, you see this melding of cultures yes. Yes. and this, res this what you're talking about, this respect and relationship between the coaches and the players and the countries that they represent and how they're intertwined. And, you know, I have been to several venues in the Czech Republic as well when, when we've gone to the Herbeski and asked the tournament coordinators, you know, can we have uh, some, some floor time? Uh, sure, indoor, outdoor, what do you need? Well, you know, whichever. We've been to an outdoor venue. There was the Hiawatha flag. We went to the Mishner Cup at a completely different venue from the Herbeski, Hiawatha flag. Every venue I've been to in, in Czech has a Hiawatha flag. That, again, like you were saying, Neil, that melding across continents, across the waters, one it's of amazing. The, one of the players of the Dutch team, Ipe Bau, or as our coach says, uh, Lepe Bu, um, he had uh, one of these uh, traditional Czech uh, sticks, and he told us a couple of stories about that. Maybe, Neil, you can anecdote that. Yeah, what's really interesting is, uh, you know, during... And I heard this, this story too, but I never saw the stick. Um, so you always get a piece of the puzzle, right? And then another piece of the puzzle shows up. I love, I love life that way. And uh, so I had heard a story of how, why the Czechs are so good, right? Because I asked the question, why are they so good? And, you know, in the Iron Curtain, someone got a hold of a book that had this image of lacrosse going on. So then they started just playing it thinking, oh, these, these people are going to disappear. So we should play this game so that it exists. And so they started playing it. And then they f someone found out that, no, the sticks are longer. So then they made longer handled ones, right? And then there's the little cup on top that you're talking about with the X, right? So then they had those things and they're playing with those for a long time. And then as soon as they had access to the world, they realized, oh, there's a whole world of this sport and it's called the cross. And, and so they had already been playing and knew the game and had clubs and people playing it. And so uh, it's not surprising how good they are at the game with that kind of connection for so many years. Um, so it's exciting to see that they also acknowledge where, where that knowledge came from before that game arrived in their space. I, I get asked pretty regularly when I tell them I'm Seneca of the Haudenosaunee, you guys are still alive? Uh, I'm alive. They're still Indians? Yeah. Not often, but on, a, on occasion and kind of regular. Everywhere, here. or you mean here in Europe or? In and America, that there's Indians still exist. That, uh, you know, we weren't this ancient thing or non-existent. Uh, I spoke to a, a youth program uh, a couple of weeks ago in uh, Wrocław and 
that was one of the one of the questions they asked me was, "Do you live in a TP? Do you, do you have a horse?" And to be honest, those very same questions are asked of me at different times on the American continent. Okay. So. So uh, you want to? Sorry. Well, you you had mentioned the uh, the mascot thing earlier, um, just a minute ago with the ELF, and we were both on uh, on that panel talking about the mascot issue, which is predominantly or has been predominantly a native North American kind of thing, Canada, US. Um, and it was interesting to have that conversation in the ELF with teams from all over the world in a sport that's created by indigenous people. And then to find out that there's been now four teams that have reached out because of that podcast to different people, either in the podcast or, out, or to ELF themselves about how to change the name of their, of their, of their clubs. And, and a couple of them are German. Um, and they want to find a way to acknowledge the roots of the game, but do it respectfully without, you know, just saying, you know, putting a, a native uh, headdress on a, on a jersey and saying, you know, the, uh, the Mohawks or whoever, right? Because that's, that's who they're trying to, to pay tribute to. So, so I think that's kind of really interesting how um, that little podcast that we shared that experience on together has now resulted in European teams being more aware of, of what they're saying and how they're saying it and what their club's logos represent. Well, uh, you know, from that podcast, uh, like you said, several people reached out to me, and I'm sure many of us who were involved in that podcast were, were reached out to. But, you know, one, one of the things that comes up back, back home, what's the big deal? And until you are on the other side of the deal, you don't know, right? You don't know what it means to have you minimalized or um, ob objectified or whatever the, the word is, whatever the word that allows uh, people to say, what's the big deal? It's so systemic that People have no idea. And so that podcast was powerful and it was important. And I think a lot of change, even at the billion dollar industries, were heard that podcast um, and made some changes, baseball, football. Um, it was important. And I'm honored to have been a part of it. Yeah, and it goes back to that what you were just saying with the question you were getting about do you live in a teepee and do you have a horse, right? It's a lack of understanding and knowledge and awareness of indigenous people, how we live, what our contemporary issues and concerns are today and, and how we experience the world. Um, and so I think it's, you know, I think back to Dave Chappelle, you know, with a, a great joke, anecdotal joke that he tells uh, that he ran into a native person at a, at a store and some shop he was in and he asked if he could have the experience and they had, you know, this whole thing where he does this joke, right? And they end up uh, saying, oh, you want to, you can stay the night, you can stay in the teepee. And he goes, that sounds real cool and all. He goes, but why, why are you putting the black guy in the teepee when you got a house with electricity up there? He goes, I'm in the tent, you know, like, what are you doing to me? He was like, well, you wanted the authentic experience, you know? So uh, he was just really uniquely pointing to the, irony and the ignorance of 
general pop population of peoples that just don't understand or don't know or are stuck in a time that that is long past. Uh, and so that's where the mascots come in for me and that why it's so important to have that conversation because it does bring the conversation about indigenous people in a contemporary way and see us as equals, as we say, from the two row that we'll greet each other as brothers, right? And so that's the process of how we greet each other as brothers is we greet each other with respect and understanding that we have that awareness. Uh, but we also have that spiritual knowledge that we can share too that we can find a way to combine them together in a really wonderful way. Yeah. Yeah. That that those are our words for our white brothers, our black brothers, our each of these other cultures that we encounter, we add that word brothers. Our our our, our whatever, our we, Dutch brothers. We recently just before we went to camp, we had a conversation with the uh, a man from the Molucca, so uh, uh, and he was telling the red uh, almost the same story as well, right? Uh, about the brothers and uh, was. Who was that? When we were in Amsterdam in uh, North in the evening, we went to this guy at the. Yeah, yeah, it's like oh, it's it's two weeks ago and it feels like half a year ago. Um, yeah, we we we. <laughs> Yeah, we met we met a man, and, and uh, you know he was literally in our part of town. You know where 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 we're supposed to meet. Where we're so yeah. So so all of a sudden he's like blocks away. So we meet up real quick, and and all of a sudden we're literally sharing these stories about the culture, and and he tells a story of his people and how they understand. Uh, you know, he asked the question, "Why were my people so kind to these Dutch people?" Uh, these these white people what what happened what was going on and then he goes back to the story about uh, the creation of beings you're gonna laugh when you hear this so he's talking about the creation of all of the beings and that there was a white brother and a black brother and then the brown brother and so there's all these different colors of brothers that were sent all over the world to other places and that they would come back and they would rejoin when it was time for us to to live together as one again and so so when the Dutch came, his people thought, oh, our white brother is coming home, coming back, right? So you're nodding your head. So I know you know our stories and that we have a similar story. So I was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy, right? Here I am in the Netherlands in the North Amsterdam NDSM having a conversation about that sounds like something that I've heard since I was, you know, four years, three, two years old, ever since I could talk or listen. I heard that story too, you know. If I if I could bring up one other thing before we get too far away from that podcast, I was taking a class, a graduate class, a couple semesters ago, and you know that the professor was advocating this book, tolerance of whatever, tolerance, teaching tolerance and being tolerant of of people of different cultures, and I I I I, I said, I have trouble with this word tolerance and and he says well what what's what's the problem now Heath <laughs> and I said well let me let me put it this way the the root word of tolerance is to tolerate and I, I would rather not be tolerated let me let me give you an example I said um I, I 
I, I guess you guys can, everybody with a PhD can be in this room with me. I'll, I'll tolerate you, meaning my professor. I'll, I'll, I'll tolerate you. And you should see the, the, the look in his eye of deer in the headlights. Well, I'll, you know what? All of you with beards, I tolerate you too. I said, think about that word. That word tolerate. A, a PhD decided this is a good word to use for his book. A, pub, a, a peer read it. A peer review was done. A, a, a publisher read it. Look how systemic it is to sub create this gentrification where native people and people who are different are lower or less or to be tolerated. Again, to me, this is what part of the power of that, that podcast on, on mascots. And, and we, we, we use the phrases like compassion, you know, love, thankfulness, you know. Um, part of what we, what we grow up is the great law of peace, and that's uh, you use the gani gohi or the good mind, and the part of that good mind is you're compassionate, you're thoughtful, you're patient with each other. You give each other that opportunity to be themselves and, and share and enjoy their uniqueness. Um, not tolerate their uniqueness uh, as something that's other or different. So I, I hear you when you say that, and I, I see you. And I smell you. <laughs> I smell you worse. <laughs> that's the Slovaks. I think we, uh, we had the Slovaks here downstairs uh, singing as well and some other teams, so if you hear some noise, we bear with that. And, and so much of the cultures having their songs, right? So much of our culture has the song and the dance, and when I, when I see people singing together, I, I think that's just awesome. Yeah, we have a song for the hotel, right? Yeah, go ahead, you sing it. I don't remember. <laughs> which, which hotel? <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> Maybe a little anecdote. Yeah. R2 likes to come up with a song for every hotel that we stay in, for every tournament. This so. was a, this one was a little bit hard, but uh, we we'll keep it for the team. Yeah, it was it was a hard. Um, yeah, oh, I don't know uh, how we are gonna publish this. Uh, I'm probably gonna listen to it myself and keep it for myself and not make this conversation public. Uh, I don't know. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, we'll we'll post a link to the to that other conversation too. Okay. Sure. Uh, because yeah, for me, to, especially at the end, uh, Heath, you had a very beautiful personal anecdote. It was very touching and. I think that summarized it all in a um, concrete way, where sometimes you are talking above everything that's difficult to understand what it is, but you told it a personal story which made it really clear. So thank you for sharing that with yeah. us well, uh, that, at that, that times. That's how we tell, that's how we teach anything is through story. That, that's I our, know. That's our <laughs> I culture. Know. That's what I that's said. I wanted to go to bed and just a short conversation with uh, with you maybe and uh, that ended up in the three hour conversation and uh, not so much sleep uh, this whole tournament because yeah. of conversations yeah if you talk to our elders though they'll they'll tell you a story that doesn't seem like it fits <laughs> right you ask you ask a question about something and then they tell you this story and you have to piece together why that person told you that story right what what is it what is the lesson in that story that you told me that I'm supposed to to understand, it's supposed to help me with the question that I asked you, um, and so it's an interesting way to grow up, where 
where the lesson is the story and the story and the and the lesson is also the listen. Um, our, our word that's something maybe uh, that uh, some European lacrosse players can uh, uh, use as well, right? To listen. Well, uh, can you can you uh, our word is is gaiwio. Yeah. The good word. Can you say the word again? Anadaga. Uh, the uh, gonna uh, li listening with a good mind and oh and uh, 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 gonna um. I said it earlier. You just said it, yeah. yeah. Why is it? Why is my 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 mind is blank, R2? You okay. you scared me into it. How about this? Oh, got go here. Got go here. Now, conjugated within that word is the word wheel. This word in Seneca means good or beautiful. Okay, Ohio, the beautiful river. When we say listen, sadautios, that's a directive. You listen, which means you lend a good ear. In other words, I'm, I'm going to chat with you. Now you find the, the good message in my words. And that, that connection, again, our words to our culture, that bond between us and, and here, and having those elders teach us those ways, those, those, those things through stories, requires us to listen with a good ear, listen for the good message. And stories are very powerful. It, it, illustrating things that are very hard to explain by definition so uh, it's easier to explain by experience and allow that person to interpret that how they can internalize it so it it matches their heart which is part of how I try to coach the guys is that I give them some ideas and concepts but at the end of the day they still have to you know find what Dutch lacrosse is for them and put that on the field and feel good about how they feel about that and and to make that relationship a connection with their spirit. Um, so I'll, I'll, depending on the player, I'll have that conversation with them about getting out of their head and more into their heart and their body. Um, depending on the player, uh, R2, I don't know if R2 even knows this, but in the last tournament, um, we had a guy who had a major panic attack in the bench before we went on the field and uh, the trainer's there and he's freaking out and uh, he comes out and I say this guy can't play and I said what and they said he's having a panic attack and I'm like hold on so I go you know team's warming up I walk in the locker room did some stuff I said are you all right for me to touch you he says yeah so I touched him on his on his torso a couple different places got done, put his helmet on, he went out and had a great game. Mm -hmm. And he's told me that he had been struggling with panic attacks for years, and he didn't have another panic attack for the rest of the tournament. I don't know where he is now in that space of panic attacks, but for that moment that he was with me, mm -hmm. he was good. And that bond that we create with our players can be so powerful, so, so powerful. You know. Yeah, we, we have those messages of, uh, you know, leave it all on the floor and, and give your all and give your best. But we say that the rest of that statement is for your brother, right? For, for the stands, for their enjoyment, for, for that person who's up there, you know, the all-knowing, whoever he is, he or she is for you. These are, these are the reasons we play, right? And, and because of that bond you created, Neil, with your with your your players, 
he was he trusted you to touch him and use that message to help him to heal you know this is to me what the game is all about is that that healing power you know i, I tell the i tell the players that when they when they step onto the floor when i step onto the bench you're when you're about to step you take in some deep breaths you breathe in positivity and you breathe out the negative and you and you leave you leave that let that out and these anything that's bothering you whether it's home bills anything you leave that on the edge again step on the floor and for, for those minutes during those minutes in this case 60 minutes no bills, no nothing else out there. We're your family, just just for one hour. And play like that person next to you is, is your brother or sister, in the case of, of, of an awesome goalie. And even when someone gets mad, get penalty. I tell them, hold on to that. They did that out of anger. That's anger that needed to get out. To me, they entrusted you with that, that hurt and that anger. Hang on to it. Don't retaliate. Be honored that they trusted you with that. Let them get the penalty. And that's that's what I teach about penalties. So if you ever watch a Polish game, that's why you rarely got 47 penalty minutes in a game against the Netherlands. Oh yeah. <laughs> holding a lot of our energy. <laughs> but we were holding a lot of theirs. Yeah, yeah, a lot of energy. Well, I think we I think we were we think we led the tournament in penalties, I think, this tournament, if not second. I think we were in second with this last game to go. <laughs> Normally we're first place for penalties, so I'm glad you took that. I don't need that award. <laughs> So uh, to uh, take a step back to the to the tournament, or maybe uh, you were in going into it. We started with uh, what's on your back. So in the Dutch uh, jerseys and uh, shorts, there is a token of this uh, two-row belt too. Can you go into that relationship a little bit uh, deeper than you went in before? Yeah, sure. I mean the. Um the two row wampum is a is an agreement between the Dutch and the Haudenosaunee uh, that's over 400 years old, and uh, it was made on the shores of the Hudson River as the as the Dutch traveled north from New York and uh, began to, as we would say, uh, move into empty rooms, and as they moved into these spaces. The, the people in that area that were in charge of that space or the Mohawk or the keepers of the eastern door. And so they sent runners out to throughout the Haudenosaunee through our confederacy. And so we sent a delegation of people to meet these Dutch fur traders to ask them what they were doing and who they represented. And uh, many much time was spent trying to figure out how to communicate to these to these new people to our lands and uh, and uh, eventually uh, a, a way of communicating to each other was developed and created in a way that um, the, 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 the two row was was agreed upon and the, the Dutch used the symbol of the silver chain or the covenant chain so there were three linked chains that represent the peace, friendship, and forever. And it's silver because it can be polished. 
and cleaned and renewed uh, whenever, whenever we come together. Uh, we, in our tradition, to hold our history, created a belt with the two rows. Uh, so we had two purple rows, one purple row representing the uh, uh, ship that the Dutch traveled in and their religion and their way of life and their laws and their governance and all of their, their ways and the other, our canoe, and our indigenous people with our laws and our, our ways of life and, and all of those things. And so we agreed to travel side by side, never infringing upon the other. And this is an agreement that's been in existence for over 400 years because as we say, uh, the way our oral traditions and stories passed it down is that the Dutch, in their, in their way of the, seeing the world, wanted to refer to themselves as father and that we were we were son and our and our our delegation heard heard what they said and said uh, uh, that doesn't work for us and that we believe that we should refer to each other as brothers and we shall do this forever and as long as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west as long as the grass is green as long as water flows downhill and as long as mother earth is is, is here so this agreement shall be and uh 400 years later i'm the head coach of the dutch national team with a two-row wampum represented on the jersey with my son carrying the Haudenosaunee flag me and R2 walking out with a two-row wampum flag doing a ceremony for the Belgian game. I mean, that's just, just it's, it, I'm on the verge of crying right now just thinking about all of these relationships and connections and that 400 years later, I can be part of that conversation, part of that relationship, and, and part of the reminder of that agreement that our people, our, our ancestors, had with your ancestors uh, and now we're renewing that we're polishing that chain um, with this podcast I think that uh, about cover <laughs> cover everything right before we all start to cry here uh, <laughs> thank you for you know for and with, with wampum anytime you see a belt that has the strings at, at either end the what that means is that that belt can always be added upon. It, it, like the Hiawatha belt. More can be added on, more can be added on, more can be added on. And I think that was an awesome story, Neil. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that knowledge. Again, that was awesome. Um, yeah, so uh, maybe uh, round it up with uh, some uh, tips for Europe, uh, Europe lacrosse. What, uh, what is the future of development? Well, I, I would start with um, having equitable spending between the uh, boys and the girls. I think that's pretty important. I don't know what other countries are doing, um, but I, I definitely think that there needs to be some encouragement uh, all the way around for, for everybody. That would be my, my biggest advice. Um, my, that's it. That's that's a great perspective. I didn't. I I wasn't thinking that way. So you know, it's always. 
I love having these conversations because the more people you bring into the room, the more ideas you get, right? And that's a great idea. Um, because my my thought first went to where this where the sport is going and how um, Europe can support that right whether it's the Olympics or whether it's the world world versions or the box versions or the international competitions and all those things and how can each country support their programs for that right and sixes is the example where the the game itself has the same rules right your your daughter played in that and and right after the men played right the men played and then the women played you know and they played the same game the same rules the same way and and what does that mean for europe and european lacrosse as it develops into the possibility of being an olympic sport and what does that mean for each country as they like you said support their their players their athletes and their teams to develop the best athletes to be Olympic medalists, you know, so so that's my first thought and we have a bunch of ideas as the as the Dutch national team trying to figure that out um, and how we're gonna do that as well. You know, I, I talked to like my daughter, you know, the, the refs, we, we've heard from World Lacrosse, the biggest problem is that there's there's two sets of refs, we have to have two sets of refs and that's that's one of the main problems. Size, right, of the teams, um, but I asked my daughter, so how do you feel about the merging, the slow merging of the rules, the Olympics, what they're doing? How do you feel about pads? She says, we don't need pads like the boys. <laughs> we can play without pads. And I said, oh, I agree. I watch you. I watch you have just as many bruises as, as your brothers. But there has to be one set of refs that can step on, do one game for the, for the girls and then turn right around with the same whistle and the same rules, go and ref the boys game. And the only way to do that is with pads or the guys go without pads for the Olympics. That would be cool. Ow. But that has to happen. One set of rules yep. completely. And uh, the lefty situation, how is it going in Poland? <laughs> struggling with some lefties. Uh... They, you know, our lefties in Poland can walk on water. They, they automatically make the team. And what we find out is when I, Neil knows, you all know, we don't switch hands in, in box. Who switches hands in box? But what I do in practice is we switch hands because what we find out is that there are natural lefties who are never allowed to be lefties. And Im imagine finding something out about yourself you never knew that your coach comes over and because walks around and finds out in your mind that you're actually a lefty. Because culturally they, are, they were not allowed to write with their left hand? Write anything, scissors. Uh, I'm, I, they've explained to me a couple times something about left hand and the heart and taboo being left-handed and it, people are still kind of discouraged from being left-handed in Poland. I, I think the Dutch just don't like left. <laughs> or they don't use that part of their brain or I don't know. We are more is. in the middle. We meet in the, yeah, middle, meet in the middle. They want to swing the ball <laughs> but, uh, over the top of their the head. The Haudenosaunee have, uh, <laughs> have an all kind of different. Oh, the Germans are screaming there. Yeah. 
I think we're gonna finish it up pretty soon uh, now too. Yeah. Uh, Heath is uh, going to cheer for the German team coming on the field. Actually, he is half German as well, right? Nobody knows that, but uh, I must be. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, the German team is coming on the field. Um, so what were we talking about again? Sorry, I got distracted oh. there. <laughs> You're talking about yeah, no, the yeah. So the Haudenosaunee don't have uh, any righties, right? So they have the different. Uh, well, we have righties. We have yeah. righties, but we have certainly, I would say, most teams that are indigenous teams. Their best player is usually a lefty, uh, a left-handed player, um, for whatever reason. I, uh, you know. It, um, they they show up. They play. Uh, my team growing up never had a heart a shortage of left-handed players. Um, when I played on the world team, we had You're a lefty we, too, we by had the way. we had five starting attackmen and four of them were lefties. Uh, or five attackmen, you know, that we dressed that we took to the tournament. Four of them were lefties, <coughs> and um, three of us played professionally. <laughs> getting all choked up thinking about um, playing the yeah. world games um, yeah get back but, to um, the moment watch out for the B yeah but what, what's you know um, what's also interesting about our culture is that it's a very artistic culture the language operates in a different space so like um, I have a a, a distant cousin who had a stroke and uh, he lost the ability to speak English, but he did not lose the ability to speak our traditional language. So he had a stroke and could only. Is the English team coming? There it is, the, the English team is coming, yeah. Fish and chips? Fish and chips, yeah. So, so my, my, my distant cousin had a stroke, couldn't speak English, but could speak. Onondaga, and it's a different part of the brain that you use when we use our language. It's a more colorful, artistic space. It operates in a different space, and so when your language exists in that space, the ability to, to visualize the world is different, and that is a left-handed side space. Um, and so I think for that reason, most Indigenous teams, the best player, if not the second best player, is a left-handed player, and you always know, gets the guy. You you don't stop that guy, you're gonna lose, right? And he's he's not his head like he knows. Every team has a solid lefty that you you have to stop, or you might not win that game, um, or they have two or three because solid lefties. For, and it's just like a constant flow of just this lefty dominance where there's great righties don't get me wrong there's great righties and they can shoot the ball and play the ball and they play just as well as the lefties but for some reason that part of our brain gets activated through the culture through the language and it shows up in the game and, and as, as a goalie I can tell you that it, it a lot of times like you said it's creativity when a goalie is reading every part of your body when you're about to shoot Right, if, is, is their toe pointing to the left, to the right? That, that's the first step as, as you look up the body as you go. Elbow drops, shoulders drop, what's gonna happen? You know, twister may come, but... And so, lefties, 
are so creative in how they deceive you. They're the ones that are going to point their toe to the right and then just shoot it by you on the left. <laughs> They're just creative in the way that they can just make that move, that, that spin combo with a double heel digging jab step. They're just creative. Were you a lefty goalie or a righty goalie? Righty goalie. Field and box. I played goalie for field and box. And as a player? What's that? If you are throwing the stick? Well, uh, maybe how I became a goalie well, is a little interesting. I was six years old when I started playing. My first year, I got one goal. Second year, I got one goal. <laughs> Third year, uh, hadn't got a goal yet. And we're up in uh, St. Catharines, Ontario, and we're in the vans back in the days when coaches could drive 20 boys in vans, <laughs> you know, across the border. And all of a sudden, they're talking on the, the CB radios before cell phones. So you were supposed to pick up the goalie. No, you were supposed to pick up the goalie. <laughs> all right, guys, who wants to be a goalie? And I looked at my, my jelly roll. And I said, one goal a year, they're not going to miss me. I'll hop and go. <laughs> we, were, we lost uh, 9 to nothing, And I found out from a news reporter that I had 81 saves. <laughs> and he says, how, uh, he, he caught me at the concession stand after, and he asked me, you know, how long, was you the goalie in that Newtown game? Yeah. And he says, uh, how long have you been a goalie? <laughs> First time. He goes, really? And he pulled a piece, he pulled a notebook out of his pocket, <laughs> pulled out a pen. He says, did you know you had 81 saves? I said, no, is that a lot? <laughs> and he goes, uh, yeah, yeah. He says, average hockey goalie, 36 saves is a great night. And I go, oh, it's a lot then, ain't it? <laughs> and he did an article on me right, right there on the spot. So the only other time I played out, I got six stitches. Because the guy at Six Nations got mad that I beat him to the ball, and he just checked me in the head. And then 30 years later, I played Masters out, pulled a hamstring. So between the pipes for me. <laughs> I, I, I'm the opposite. I played goalie once and never went back in. <laughs> we, uh, I, was the, I was the third backup, and uh, there was a, a death uh, passed, uh, someone passed in our community, and the Mohawks were coming down for a youth game. So the starting goalie and his backup, the backup goalie, when he couldn't go in, were, there was family member for both of them. And so I was, I was the next guy in line. So I was like, okay. So I put the gear on, and they came down, and, and they had one lefty shooter. <laughs> he was their best player. And uh, his his dad told him, uh, ring one off the goalie's head for a shot, and then and then then he'll duck for the rest of the game. So he came down, first shot, whack, right in the head. And I was used to playing goalie in my backyard with the little pinky balls or tennis balls, right, soft balls. So I wasn't afraid to get hit in the head. So the ball comes in, whack, hits me in the head, and I'm like, okay, that's just like the backyard. So he comes down, winds up, takes a shot, and I go, bing, arm safe. I, I didn't flinch. I just made the save, right? So then he's like, oh, that was weird. So he takes another shot, bing, make another save. And he's like, oh, a foot safe. 
And he's like, this guy's not afraid. So he rings another one off my head. He hit me in the head three times trying to get me to flinch. I still was too dumb enough to flinch out of the way. I just kept making the saves. And the, and the guy after, the coach, said the same thing. He goes, yeah, that's our best player. You're the first goalie he's ever played against his whole life who hasn't flinched after he got hit in the head. He goes, uh, you're a good goalie. And I said, well, that's the last. I'm probably going to play a goal. I'd rather score the goals. <laughs> so, so that was it. I was, I was done with goalie, one and done. But, uh, but I was too, I was, you know, I, I just grew up with, you got to go. You can't flinch. Why, why flinch? So. So you have to sum it up uh, to find out, like, yeah, okay, we're probably going to be spending uh, one more hour, but I uh, have one question. Or like, uh, big problem or a problem is uh, funding, of course, in everything. Uh, our players have to pay everything themselves. Are there any solutions? Are there any ideas? Jeez. I, somebody hit the lottery and share, share some money with us. I mean... I think um, I think that's every something that all the European clubs struggle with, um, <clears throat> especially in the East. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's like uh, you know, in the States, Canada, you know, there's funding, there's sponsors, there's you know, you can go back to the well, and you you know, businesses and companies will put money in towards it or do different things for it, and. Uh, and and I hear just the, the the awareness of the sport isn't there. The companies don't understand what it means, so they don't put money into it, and they don't realize actually the world stage that it gets exposed to through the sport. So, so I think um, if some of our countries could figure that out, or maybe some of them already have, that's why they're more successful than others, right? Um, and so, like you were mentioning about evening the playing field for women, but also. How do some of these other countries even the playing field financially so that they can compete equally with others that have different types of funding structures? You know, I, I was talking to someone from USA Lacrosse last summer, and I talked about the inequity of having a tournament on the North American continent. There's only three teams there. USA, Canada, and I'm talking box lacrosse. USA, Canada, and Haudenosaunee, right? And then the Polish team, the exchange. You know, to move a Polish lacrosse team to the North American continent, to our, to our dollar, back, back on the North American continent, it costs quarter million dollars just in airfare. Why are we having tournaments on the American continent? There's only three teams there. So I asked the guy, why, why is that? He said, he looked me dead in the eye, he said, Heath, just like it's a problem of money for your team, it's the problem of money to run it over there. We can't get teams to run it. Just Israel ran a tournament, lost $1.5 million, he said. Dollar dollars, U.S. dollars. Now multiply that by four. That's what the Polish government would have lost. This is the problem we have, right? I don't know what the solution is here in Europe. I have no idea. But I do know we need to have tournaments on this continent. We need to figure it out whether that's that's pooling, multiple teams pooling funds, whatever that means. But it's just leaving 
how do we call it worlds when money excludes so many countries? Yeah, 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 and, and, and what, <laughs> well, it doesn't just exclude the countries. It also excludes the best players that might not be able to travel because of the funds required to travel. So we have that problem sometimes too where, oh, let's pick our list of guys from, this, from these training camps and these videos and these, these, these tournaments that you've gone to and we'll put our, our team down and then half of that team gets dropped off just because, oh, well, these guys don't have funds. These guys can't take time off of work. These guys can't afford it. So this, this one-third of your roster is already gone without even batting an eyelash. And it happens here too. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's frustrating because those guys would be amazing at this level and help the team exponentially to do even better than we already do. And, and yeah, so, yeah, that's a struggle. That's a struggle. I'm not going to name any names because I know most of my Polish teams, when they hear about this podcast, are going to listen. So I'll just say... You guys know who you are. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, I don't blame them. We had people who had weddings. We had people who, you know, couldn't play for whatever reason. And one particular player, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're getting ready for San Diego, but you won't get ready for Hanover. He said, coach, it's simple. Injury. You know, not every country has the same health care system where the, by law you can't deny someone health care. A human being walks in, they will get the services they need on a spot. It's not the way everywhere. And that's a legitimate concern that we don't, I don't understand it to be honest because I've never experienced I'm not going to sit here and claim I, I understand. No, I don't understand. So it's one of those things, too. There's so many facets to this that's so deep to, to answer your question. It's more than just one answer. Of course, always. Uh, yeah, one other came, popped into my mind. Uh, and uh, uh, So you see the better countries, they have um, players who both play in their field programs, and it's maybe even connected in the financial thing, too and the box programs. This year, of course, there was this field uh, lacrosse qualifier, which probably made it very difficult for some of these field players to be at the, a second tournament financially, because, uh, what, 2,000 euros per tournament, probably. Um, how is the con convergence between field and box in Poland? Mm, you know, they, they, ha they can make cuts on the field program. We didn't do cuts. <laughs> we didn't have 18 runners. That's my answer. But are the same guys playing field and box two, or are there separate groups? Oh yeah, yeah, they all play field. There's a there's a there's a very good, well developed Polish league. Every city having a team, uh, men's and women's. Well, okay, not every city, but many cities. We'd like to have more, um, but many cities. So yeah, they all play field. Uh, my box players also play field. Mm. Yeah. All of the players that are on a national box of team play at a home uh, for their home city's field team in the, in the Polish league. 
Uh, no, I think what he's saying is on the national, Poland national team, how many from the Poland national team play on your national team? You mean field? Field, yeah. Five or six? Five or six. Of, this, of these guys that came here? Yeah. We have, we have one. Really? One, yeah. I, and so for us, one of our struggles is that breaking down that thought process that if I play box across, I'm going to get hurt, right? And the whole training that we did with the girls, the training that you do, that I do with the, bo with the men is teaching you how not to get hurt, teaching you how to protect yourself, teaching you how to move into the spaces and to utilize the techniques so that you don't get hurt. And that's the same thing that the Haudenosaunee do with their box players and their kids. It's the same thing that the Canadians do with their box kids. And I'll say this, it's shocking. At Onondaga, we had a non-native guy who was playing, he had his kid coming through our system. And so his friend said, oh, I want to send my kid to Onondaga to learn from all these great box players who play box across. And he said, what's it like? He goes, well, it starts at age four. And he said, okay, I'll put my four-year-old in. And he said, okay, I'll just tell you a warning right now that in the first half an hour, after the first half an hour practice, at some point, your son is going to get hit. And you're going to want to walk down and walk out of the field and yell at the coach and drag the kid off the floor that just creamed your son into the boards because your son is laying on the ground crying. I'm just telling you that right now. That's going to happen. And, and you, when you are trained at a young age, not only to hit that way, but how to take a hit, that by the time you're eight years old, contact means nothing. It means nothing to you. And the Canadians are fearless because of it. The Haudenosaunee are fearless because of it. They put their body and, the, and their heart on the line for the goal, for the D, for whatever it is, because they know they've been trained since they were babies. That's what it takes to win. And they learned early. And, and they don't have as many injuries than you would think. And we have a, a guy, one guy, who tried out for the national team? Uh, didn't he didn't make it, right? Uh, did he not not the one we the other one? We had another one that was playing, was going to all the field camps. And then he he came and came on our team and played this whole tournament, right? So he got trained all the different things that I'm teaching. And he got at the end of the tournament. I talked to him. I said, "What do you think? What what, what how was your tournament?" He says, "You know." With everything I learned, with everything I, I got to do and play, I realized that you watch the game and you see these people getting cleaned out and hit and just, you know, blown up. But in the game, he goes, it's actually not as physical as you think it is. It's actually pretty safe. Um, he goes, I actually don't have a ton of injuries. And what's, what's, what's really cool is that um, he goes, I, I played the whole game. I'm not the biggest guy, and I didn't get hurt. And, and, here, and, and here's, you know, 
um, this misperception that if I'm a field player, I can't play on the box team because if I play on the box team, I'm going to get hurt and not be able to play for my field national field team. And it's so the opposite that you're, I've probably had more um, season ending injuries playing field across than I have playing box across. I had my thumb reconstructed playing box, playing field across. Um, I've had numerous, like seen numerous knee, well, um, people blow out their knees in field across, not a box across, you know? So, so I've seen more, more nasty injuries in field than I have in box. That's the irony. When uh, we started box lacrosse and pulling for the girls, they started watching videos so they can kind of get an idea of the rules, what they can do, what they can't do. And they watched a lot of videos. They says, this is coach, we've watched so many videos, but what's, what's a penalty? What, what, what do you have to do in box across to get a penalty? <laughs> it, it, to them, it was just just this brutality to every chance, the slashing, the crushing. They're like, I said, well, anything that pops into your head that you want to do to somebody, you do it. It's probably legal <laughs> compared to what your experience is. When uh, my sister-in-law came to watch in Poland, um, she, she drove down from Warsaw. She came for a practice. And when we walked away, she said, Heath, it just looked like 10 people fighting out there. What was going on? It looked like when they hit the boards, but we should call the ambulance for these kids. And I'm like, look, you don't understand. We all know how. Spin, take the hit. It's actually very, very safe. It just looks that violent. Yeah. But when you're in there, it's really not. It's really no. not that bone-crushing, dangerous thing. Except for when R2 plays. Because he's got the record for penalty minutes in the Dutch box national team <laughs> in the history of box across. I, I can believe that about him. He's a passionate guy. Outside, I'm really nice, right? <laughs> At least I try. Yeah, I think uh, we are rounding it up uh, with uh, because otherwise you come with more personal anecdotes about me and uh, <laughs> maybe uh, I give you the both of you uh, one spot if there's anything on your mind that you still uh, want to get cleared. I don't know. The only thing that pops into my head at this moment, to be honest, is just thankfulness to you, R2, for bringing this, bringing us together, and uh, again, the compliment of asking me to be a part of it, and that, you know, you might think I might have something positive to contribute. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, the the sentiment of brothers. We've you know been saying it. You know, not just this year, but for many years now that we've been working together um, on this Dutch box across journey. But also to have to come here and have blood brothers with me uh, competing, you know, uh, reminds me what the game is about, even here in Europe, that when he's got his team on his bench and I got my team on my bench, I want to win. We can be brothers before, and we'll shake hands and be brothers after. But on that bat on that day, in that moment, uh, we're we're here to battle, and we're here to test each other. Even when the girls play, and I, even if I don't get to pick my team, I still want to win. For me, uh, I think. Oh,
<laughs> I think yeah. uh, for me personally, like uh, of course, the uh, last couple of years, straight uh, after, like there was big momentum after the World Championships. Mm -hmm. I think for everybody that was there, uh, and then COVID came around, put a, a curtain over everything. No, we're not gonna talk about it, but. Uh, we couldn't do sports for two years, uh, for one and a half years. So that took a lot of uh, energy out of the, the programs and out of the people running it too, because a lot of stuff you were running it for nothing because games got canceled days before, blah, blah, blah. And what I found here again is the, the spirit of the game, the community, not only in our own team, but meeting all my friends that have beaten me up in the ring or I have tried to beat them up, but they were too fast. And laughing with them, sharing stories. Uh, I found that spirit back again, so I'm very grateful for that. And I'm very grateful to have had uh, conversations with you too in our hotel, the Ibis, in Hanover. We're going to the Ibis. Nobody got stung yet. Did anybody got stung? No. Bees, what no. did we have? We had pigeons flying around, no. pooping on the field. One more swimming pool. You saw the English guy uh, taking yeah. a bath in there. Taking a bath. Oh my gosh, man, that pool. Have you been back there, Neil? Yeah. Oh my gosh. They got the lazy river thing. They got the one meter. They got the five meter. They've got quite a complex back there. I saw lots going on, man. It's yeah. awesome back there. I also saw a six foot two Ireland guy laying in the kiddie pool and took up almost the whole kiddie pool <laughs> with children <laughs> because he didn't know that the all the other pool stuff wasn't he thought that was the pool so he laid in the whole thing and all the kids got kicked out this sweaty sweaty irish man <laughs> sweaty irish okay i think uh, we'll maybe uh, a song traditional song or uh, some traditional song man? I don't know. A Ger traditional German song. I don't know. Been <laughs> we do? No. Okay. I thank you very much. I respect you guys. Yeah. And uh, we'll see each other at the next tournament, of course. Yeah. Thank you to the ELF and the organizing committee of organizing this tournament. You've done your best. There was some setbacks, but everything turned out well. Yeah. It's great to be here. Ciao.